This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to Panther Puri, the podcast where we're supposed to talk Panthers hockey, but sometimes we don't. Here are your hosts, Alex Lopez, Jake Langsam, and TJ Peterson. All right, welcome to another special playoff edition of Panther Puri. I'm TJ Peterson, uh, and not as always this time, but I'm joined by the uh, the Spaces crew, the Road Spaces crew. I've got Colby Guy of Florida Hockey now and Brian Smith of Metal Panthers YouTube channel. How are you guys doing? Doing okay. I'm doing good. Doing good. I mean, game four tonight. A uh, little nervous, but, you know, could be worse. Yeah, so now we're, we're three games into the series. You've heard the game one reaction. You've heard the game two reaction. Didn't get to do a game three reaction, but we'll do a little bit of that here, like the first third of the podcast or something like that. We'll talk about it. So this is this is one of those games that I have a weird time discussing it because it look, it like the Panthers coming into this game, they should be overwhelming favorites in the game and in the series. They lose six to one. It wasn't a good performance. Was it a six to one performance? Not really. Samsonov had an awesome game. Bob could have played better. I don't think he let in any truly soft goals, but plenty of stoppable ones. I mean, the one that Samsonov let in was soft too. So that kind of count compounds things, but first period, in my opinion, they're looking to play on the back foot. They get the early goal that makes it even more like, motivating in in their favor to play defensively try not to let the capitals get anything easy and then a bad call like i'm i'm not the referee complaining guy and the listeners will know this but it's a bad call Uyghur doesn't hold the stick if he doesn't turn the puck over nothing comes of it anyway so you got to be fair to him uh fair to the referee in that sense but it's just not holding the stick there's no penalty that's going on on that play And then immediately the Capitals tie the game. So surely things would be different if the Capitals didn't immediately get a power play out of that and they didn't tie the game because the Panthers were playing on the back foot. And in the second period, they looked more likely to score than the Capitals, but the Capitals were the ones that did score twice. And one of them was from another terrible Mackenzie Wieger turnover. Now, I mean, the defensive coverage that came right after that turnover there was plenty of time for them to get back into position and all of them were back in the play. Like there were, there were five guys there. They just left Trevor Van Riemsdyk wide open. And then Uyghur even screened Bob on the, on the shot. So it, it's a stoppable shot for Bob, but because Uyghur screening him, I think that's why he doesn't make the save. And then in the third period, they, they take a penalty because Huberto just lost his cool and they left Ovi wide open four to one empty netter five to one game's over at that point. I don't really want to talk about the six to one. And yeah, I mean like the second period was encouraging because we really didn't see them get 
high danger chances like that in games one and parts of game two until they woke up and the first period they weren't getting those chances but again like the capitals are in this series just as much as the panthers are and that's not what you expected to say at this point and they're they're down two to one the panthers are down two to one i mean what, what do you guys think i pretty much just gave all my thoughts by recapping everything yeah i mean first of all with that holding the stick penalty i wanted to comment on that a little bit like i i'm just kind of and you know me i'm like the last person that gets any kind of partial with this team but I, I still am failing to understand how you call that when the stick is in the guy's skate. Like, you have the visual evidence right in front of you. Don't know why that was a thing. Second of all, that, that second period definitely was swayed by both that call, even with it being – I think that was the one at the end of the first period. Where they yeah, Oshie scored at the goal. end of the first period on that tip. Yeah. So that gave the Capitals a lot of confidence there. And even when the Panthers were playing their best hockey, they had Ilya Samsonov playing out of his mind. And then the Capitals got another call swinging their way with um, at the end of that second period where they go up 3-1. So I think there are a lot of things that shifted the momentum and the Panthers had their opportunities with a lot of grade-A chances. But with Samsonov's play and uh, – they're they're they had some really bad special teams play as well, both on the penalty kill and power play, and that really swung the momentum to Washington's way. Like they have to watch out for Ovechkin more there because both of those power play goals did come off of Ovechkin's slap shot. I think if I were to have really opinions on Game Three, besides you know uh, the obvious negative emotions that one would have. Um, I think that the most concerning thing that I've really witnessed from the Panthers is that we're seeing the same mistakes that showed themselves last year show themselves in this series. Um, you know, the, the power play has been gross, but I, you know, I don't think that that is necessarily the, the, the mistakes that they showed last year. The, the penalty kill has not been good enough, um, and I don't think enough Panther fans have talked about it. Uh, it isn't just leaving OV open, but like the, the Capitals are getting consistent chances and they're burying, you know, at a very, very strong clip. Uh, we're getting dominated on special teams in this series. And that just shouldn't be the case. We have enough uh, to have, we have enough offensive talent. We have enough superstar talent to, to have a power play that clicks at at least 30 to 40% in this series. When you, when you look at what the Capitals are doing and we're just, I mean, we don't have a power play goal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, it's brutal. Um, and if that doesn't turn around, it, it, we're not going to win the series. The Panthers are simply going to have to get better special teams play moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the the second power play goal that the Capitals scored, like it, it's indefensible that you have four guys on one side of the ice, like leaving Ovi open. Sure. Like I I've seen it happen lots of times, but you, you just have to have somebody on that side of the ice period. Like you can't overcommit like that, but it, it comes out of desperation and it goes into my further point. Uh, and we're going to talk about the series from a high level now, rather than just game three is that it, it, it's all an avalanche. It's a house of cards. And once the Panthers can't score at the clip that they're used to scoring, especially at five on five, everything, else becomes an issue because well, they're, they're pressing more defensively. They're trying to take chances. They're trying to do what they can to turn defense to offense, sacrificing a little bit of that defensive integrity and that capitals capitalize, you know, as their name implies 
I guess. And uh, they score based on that. You know, the Panthers up two to one in game one, but they're still trying to make it three. They're still frustrated that they really haven't had any good opportunities to make it three. So you see Mackenzie Weger trying to beat the first man in order to set up a kind of a five on four situation. And he turns the puck over. You see in game three that they're desperate to create a turnover on the penalty kill, try to get a shorthanded chance. So they have four guys on the same side as the puck and they leave Ovechkin wide open. I mean, these things don't happen if they are up two to nothing at that point in the game, but they're down three to one. So they have to, at least mentally, they feel like they have to sacrifice in order to generate offense. So the first problem that I think that would solve a lot of their other problems, is just if they start getting more offensive chances without having to sacrifice in other areas and they start burying them like the power play. I feel like it's talked about a lot because it is, it is the issue. And right now we're three games into the series. The first power play unit doesn't have a high danger chance yet. There's been four high danger chances total for the power play. And all four have come from the second unit, three of them for Patrick Hornquist, who is, you know, 34 years old or whatever he is. So that's not the guy you want to have a high danger chance on his stick as good as he is, you know, around the net, it, it's not necessarily burying pucks, I guess, you know, maybe people will disagree. And that that's just inexcusable. When you read out those, those numbers, like that means, I mean, Patrick Hornquist is likely getting those high danger chances off of tip pucks right in front of the net. Right. So that means we're not getting really anything in terms of movement or any, any kind of plays. We're not getting, you know, getting any kind of, uh, chances at all through three games uh, in the series on the power play. And that's just a problem. And I think also what I've heard a lot and from what I've seen is that they're not necessarily getting those second chance opportunities. And I mean, the only one who has been out there winning those battles in front of that has been Patrick Hornquist, as you said. So they need some of these guys to kind of win these battles more and put more effort there because I mean, the, 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 um, the mood in the room right now is that there's a lot of frustration. And when that frustration comes out, you're not working as hard. So the guys need to work a little bit harder there to win those one-on-one battles, get to those pucks in front of the net. And that is a, that is a way that the Panthers score a lot. They like scoring on those rebounds. They like getting those second chance opportunities after uh, a first shot. And that's how they get a lot of their power play goals as well. If it's, if it's Sam Reinhart in front of the net, maybe Barkov picking something up. But that's how they like to score a lot of the time. So they really do need to win those second chance battles. And there's nothing against Hornquist there. He's the only one doing it. Yeah. And look, we talk about the one three one ad nauseum. And I mean, we could talk about it again because it is like the reason that the Panthers are struggling in this series. But you don't have to deal with the one three one on the penalty or on the power play because they don't have five guys out there. They can't have a one three one. It's got to be a one three, you know, something like that but you haven't scored a power play goal in the series and you have all this talent. And I mean, we can talk about maybe the power play structure isn't good enough too predictable, a good penalty kill like Washington could shut it down. But, you know, I think that we can also look at the talent that's out there and say, Hey, why can't you guys generate something regardless of the systems? Cause I don't think the systems are the problem necessarily. Like sure. They, they might be contributing to the problem, but look, you got Claude Giroux, you got Alexander Barkov, you got Jonathan Huberto at, at points in their careers, they've all been considered MVP candidates. Like you got to be able to figure it out. Like you have to have the talent to figure it out on your own. And we can, you know, we can talk about the coaching and we can talk about the structure 
but at the end of the day, the players got to figure it out. And I, I think the funny thing is that actually Barkov and Huberto have both been really good, even strength. So people are, you know, talking about, well, well, how come the star players for the Panthers haven't been the star players when like Huberto has had one amazing assist and one like awesome snipe at five on five in this series. He just hasn't done anything on the power play. If you want to criticize one of those players, I think that Claude Giroux is somebody fair to criticize here because he did have one even strength goal in game one. But other than that, his underlying numbers are really poor and he's not generating points. Yeah, I would say um, uh, the, the talk about Huberto and Barkov not showing up in the series, I think, has been somewhat overblown. Uh, I think that they've both been really, really good, actually, through three games. But there's too many guys that have not been good through three games, and Claude Giroux, definitely one of them. Uh, Mackenzie Weger, obviously another one. I mean, we could sit here and talk about ad nauseum. Uh, everybody already has. Uh, ben Sherratt, another one who I am sure uh, has been talked about a million times by everybody. Um, but not good in this series. Yeah, but he, yeah, the, the, I want to engage on that actually before we leave the subject because this is something that I wanted to spell. Like, didn't we hear coming into the playoffs just how important this guy was going to be in the postseason? And the rhetoric somewhere seems to be, well, you know, the Panthers haven't figured it out physically. Like the the big bodies of the Capitals are bullying them. Like they they're not big enough. And yet yeah, Ben Sherrod sitting here, out, isn't that why we go four. out and acquire him? Yeah, like he's six foot four, 220 pounds or whatever. That's not exactly what he is. I'm just, you know, speculating based on what I remember seeing. And he's, you know, minus two even strength. One of the only players on the team that has not been on the ice for an even strength goal four. Like one of the only players on the team that's a minus. And he's got the biggest minus, I believe. And he's playing a lot in the offensive zone because they're putting it with Brandon Montour. And it's, it's a little bit like oil and water right now. That pairing is not working because Montour has actually been really good in this series. And whenever he's not been with Sherratt, he's been excellent. He's been ex- extremely good. You know, been on the ice for three goals for in like a third of the time that he spent with Sherratt, where he's been on the ice for no goals for. Yeah, he was, also, he was specifically really, really good in game two. I thought Brandon Montour was one of our best players in game two large part of that victory. Uh, But yeah, but the overall point is just like, there's too many passengers right now. Uh, We talked about, you know, like Drew, Sherratt, just all these guys that are not performing. I don't think that Barkov and Huberto are necessarily to blame. Um, But when we look at the power play, you know, yeah, like I agree with you. Um, Everybody's tendency is to blame coaching and, oh, it's the structure. It's that you got Huberto, Barkov, Drew, Reinhardt, and Ekblad out there i i kind of don't care what the structure or anything is score a goal you know like that that's arguably the most talented power play unit in the league you need to be able to come up with something on the fly when things break down to be able to get a goal or at least look like scoring a goal which they haven't yet yeah like you have you have an all-star team out there and you can't get a high danger scoring chance that's a huge huge problem you know i don't know that it's anything the capitals are doing i don't know that it's you know, the coaching structure or anything like that. I kind of think it's something mental that's going on with this team because they, they just don't look right when they're out there on the power play and they don't look right at certain points during the game. I mean, the Capitals do have a good penalty kill. I think that to be fair to them, we should say that. But at, at the same time, it's not like, oh, they, the only reason they made the playoffs is because they have this amazing penalty kill. And, you know, they've been a mediocre team all year. It's possible that they're 
the team this year that has just decided to be amazing in the playoffs after a mediocre regular season. You know, think Nashville, think Los Angeles 2012. But I, I just think it's things the Panthers could be improving on. Not to say that the Capitals have been bad and that the Panthers have just been worse. It's just that they're, they're eminently beatable. The Panthers just got to figure them out. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. Um, it, it's, I, I honestly, the Capitals have played an opportunistic game through three games. Uh, definitely an opportunistic game. But again, like you said, it's things that the Panthers need to clean up. And I think if the Panthers do, they'll start to take this series over. Again, starting with getting that power play going. Yeah, so uh, just bringing some updates here from Washington's um, morning skate, by the way, for game four. I know a lot of you guys are going to be listening to this ahead of game four. Um, Tom Wilson is out. This is his third straight game into the lineup. He only played for a minute in this series, but his impact was really felt during that one minute he played, getting that power play goal for the Capitals. And then Ilya Samsonov will start in net for the Capitals. So those are some updates coming out of Washington. Thanks to uh, Sammy Silber of Washington Hockey Now. Company man. Got to admire that. Going with the Hockey Now. But yeah, like that's one thing that I also want to talk about. Like Washington's not at full strength. The Panthers are like Ekblad's maybe like 80, 85, 90%. If you want to like make that argument, sure. He hasn't really had an impact yet in the series, but like Tom Wilson's not playing. Ovechkin was coming into the series a little bit limp and like, you know, he did have a goal in game four and or three, and he did have a, a game one, that big play on Uyghur, but like, he hasn't been a game breaker this series, you know, like they're beating you with guys like Marcus Johansson and, and Nick Jensen and Trevor Van Riemsdyk. Like that's, that's humiliating for a team that won the president's trophy. Yeah. I, I honestly don't even think they've done that bad of a job with, you know, we obviously saw all the people memeing, you know, they left Ovechkin wide open alone on the power play, you know, in the last game, but overall in the series, I don't even think they've done that bad of a job covering Ovi. Uh, I don't think that Ovi has, you know, it's been like the Ovechkin series where he's just taken the series over uh, and, and, you know, had a three goal, four goal performance like we know he's capable of. It's just, yeah, like you said, these guys that, you know, shouldn't be beating the Panthers are beating the Panthers. The Panthers should be, you know, with the depth in their lineup, beating up on the Capitals third and fourth lines. And they're just not doing it right now. I mean, the Capitals' third line, is, you know, dominated our third line last game. And that just should not happen. Uh, you have players like Anton Lundell and Mason Marchment. And last game, you had Claude Giroux on the third line. You can't get dominated by Connor Sheary and Connor McMichael uh, and Lars Eller. And I have respect, you know, for those guys. And obviously, McMichael is a very, very good prospect and all that. But... When you have the depth that the Panthers do, you cannot be getting dominated by the third and fourth lines of the Washington Capitals. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more with that. You know, I, I don't know what they're going to have to do in game four to get past all this. You know, this isn't my intention to say, like, I have the answer. Here it is. You know, something that I want to see them do, though, is just engage more on the four check. Like, the series is being won and lost right now, as far as I see it, with the blue line entries and the blue line exits. Like... The Capitals are having such an easy time getting out of their zone and getting into the Panthers zone, even if they're not doing a whole lot when they get there. 
and the, it's just not the same way with the Panthers. Like every, every entry is a late is labor. Every entry they're working really hard to get. I mean, they're one, three, one is playing a big factor in there, but like, if you want to turn that on its head, like engage more on the forecheck, like you don't have to enter the zone. If the puck never leaves the zone, if you're turning them over now, all of a sudden you have that same like unset defense that you're trying to go after on the rush. Like that's another way to generate it. And I feel like if they can't figure the trap out, which it doesn't seem like they figured out it out yet, like that's probably what they have to do. I mean, look at goal number four, look at goal number five in game two. It seems like that's how they put that game away by engaging on the four check and, you know, turning that clogged up neutral zone kind of into a benefit because those players in the capital neutral zone, they can't defend that then because they're, they're not in the play. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, in terms of, in terms of that, um, what, what do we think would be some solutions to that? What could the Panthers do from a lineup perspective to maybe try and get harder on the four check? You know, I, I've tossed around the idea of putting Mason Marchment on the top line. Um, what are some other things that we could do, or is it just a matter of the players are simply going to have to just work harder? You know, this might be like a, a chalk kind of answer, but I think that the top six, you could do something along the lines of a uh, Verhage, Barkov, Duclair, or Verhage, Barkov, Marchment, and kind of put those like harder nose puck retrieval specialist players on a line, and then do something like Huberto, Bennett, and Giroux, or Huberto, Bennett, and Duclair, and have that line be your like offensive zone start line where like you've already surpassed the, the problem of like having to dump the puck in. And, you know, if you get Drew out there, especially you're, you're focusing on surpassing that like neutral zone trap by just keeping the puck in the offensive zone. When you have an offensive zone face-off, win the face-off. And then you've got Huberto who's an elite in zone offensive player. You know, he can generate chances on the cycle. And Giroux is probably the same way. Bennett's probably the same way. I mean, Bennett and Duclair are also kind of good in transition, but at this point, like how much is the transition really doing for you? I don't know. Maybe they're going to instead double down on what's made them good all year and just try to play their game and not get caught up in what Washington is doing to them, you know, drag down to their level per se. That That's just the way that I see it so far. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, the number one idea that, you know, obviously I've tossed around and you've tossed around is putting Mason Marchman on the top line. But again, it's just getting in on the four check, like you said, and going for those puck retrievals. And then, you know, once you're past the one, three, one, having a line of Huberto Bennett Giroux, I think would be really, really smart. Uh, that line plus has been arguably our best line of any all year um, in the offensive zone. So you know, I, I like those ideas, uh, but again, just everybody's got to get in harder on the forecheck, no matter what the lines are and no matter what everything is. So it, it doesn't seem like there's any urgency on Bruno's side to switch up the defensive pairings, but in your opinion, should they? It's e kind of surprising that they haven't because Bruno's very, very fast to switch up the forward core, um, but he really, really hasn't made any switches in the first three games, the defensive core. Um, I don't think that there's necessarily any urgency to do so. I don't think that it's a win, you know, a, a matter of wins and losses. Um, however, I would like to see them try Uyghur and Ekblad apart 
just to see if we couldn't give the defense a little bit more depth, um, you know, and maybe put Forsling with Ekblad, maybe put Uyghur with Montour, uh, and then Sherratt and Gudis on the bottom pair. Uh, I think that would give our, you know, our defense a little bit more depth, but I don't know if that's going to change a win, you know, a loss to a win. Yeah, these, these are just ideas. I mean, potentially could get some benefits out of playing weaker down a pairing with Montour who, you know, can kind of make up for his lack of speed and, you know, co- cover up what have been some uh, issues with the breakout with that. And, you know, it's just strange what's happening with Uyghur to an extent. It's what happened last year, but what we're, like the issues are somewhat different. It's, it feels like, cause he was just getting burned by Braden point last year, as far as I remember. And then this year it's been the, the failed breakouts, the turnovers on the breakout or, you know, entering the zone that have proven costly again and again, maybe he's just unlucky, but like they're, they stick out like a sore thumb. So I, I don't know, maybe they should try to do something to get his confidence back up because it does feel like he's sec- second guessing himself a bit out there. And that could be a cause of some issues. Uh, you know, I got, I'm going to throw my hands up. I, I don't really know. Colby, do you have any thoughts on this? I mean, first of all, I mean, everybody was getting burned by Braden Point last postseason. You yeah. Know, you twisted there. Like, you see, like, probably one of the best defensive defensemen in the league and Adam Pellick getting burned by the guy every so often. That's just the postseason he was having. So, I mean, I wouldn't really pin last postseason on Uyghur. But this year, it really seems like there are a lot of nerves going on, and that's really forcing some unforced errors there that are not just for Uyghur, but a lot of these guys like you, that are pretty uncharacteristic. And then even in game one with uh, Claude Giroux making that really bad back pass that led to uh, another Washington goal there. I think there's a lot of unforced errors here really being forced by a bunch of nerves and stuff. And I mean, that comes from a team that hasn't necessarily played too much competitive hockey throughout the regular season they were kind of just walking in on teams and scoring at will but when you get to a point where you don't you're not able to do that that's forcing a lot of nerves and a lot of frustration and it's pretty much been the rhetoric the rhetoric around the team so far yeah and I mean some of the guys this doesn't apply to like a Giroux, Sherratt, Hornquist for example but like Barkov, Huberto, Reinhardt have never been past the first round of the playoffs. You know, Reinhardt has never even been in the first round of the playoffs. Lundell, this is his first postseason as an NHLer. Um, Marchman's never been past the first round. I mean, this is only his second NHL postseason. I could go on and on. You know, Duclair, I don't think so. Verhege, I guess, won the cup, but he was kind of Uyghur, on and off Uyghur the roster. Uyghur and Ekblad. Uyghur and Ekblad, Ekblad, yeah. They've never been past the first round. So, like, if Washington wants to try the trap against, like, I don't know, Tampa Bay, like, they probably could have some success uh, as shutting down their potent offense. I mean, go back to 2018, uh, they did. But at, at the same time, Tampa Bay's like, all right, well, you know, we've made the Stanley Cup final before. We can do it again. Whereas the, the Panthers, even though they have equivalent talents, you know, in theory, I guess, you could say that the Lightning had more talent that year if you wanted to. Like, it's a it's a mental issue. And, you know, maybe they're going to be able to kind of just relax and play hockey, but you really can't blame them for being kind of tight and thinking to themselves, well, you know, if we blow this opportunity, it's going to be seen as one of the, you know, most humiliating playoff defeats in the decade, you know, going back to uh, Tampa Bay's and, and such. 
that's uh, something that might be weighing on their minds. And something else that I wanted to talk about is uh, what's weighing potentially on Andrew Burnett's mind. Uh, I don't really know where things are going with this. Colby will can probably give us a sense of how the room feels if he wants to, but like we saw today that Barry Trotz got let go by the Islanders. He had one more year left on his contract. So it was a flat out termination and he's going to be available in the off season. Potentially he's looking at hoppy operations roles, but uh, that was just something Darren Dreger threw out. So in general though, Andrew Burnett, do we think that he might lose his job if the Panthers don't win this series? And if it's like kind of embarrassing the way they go out, like if they, if they lose a game in game seven in overtime, it might be a little bit different. And should that be the case? Like, should his job be on the line here? From what I've been hearing, I, I don't think there is anything where he's going to get let go. I think he is going to be the guy coming back. I wouldn't be surprised if he if the interim tag is taken off no matter what. But if there's a guy like Barry Trotz on the market, you, you'd like to think that um, that Bill Zito really takes a look at it and sees what the interest is in there. But if Zito sees that this score at will offense they had gets shut down pretty easily and you need to have that kind of um, structure that Barry Trotz has. Maybe you want to throw your hat in there and not do anything about the situation until you figure out what Trotz wants to do if you lose in round one. If you go past the first round, then Bruno's your guy. Uh, that's just what, from what I've heard, and there hasn't been much chatter on this topic they've been kind of hush hush about it and want to keep it hush hush until after the season's over but that's usually it's really what's going on here but i gotta i gotta head out because um optional starting and we gotta talk at 11 30 but it's been it's been nice being on here with you guys all right plug florida Thanks, hockey man. now real quick yeah so subscribe to florida hockey now.com 30 dollars a month or thirty dollars for a year of yeah, uh, slight difference. Yeah, thirty dollars <laughs> for a year of Panthers coverage. So uh, check that out. All right, thank you, Colby, and uh, we're we're getting pretty close to wrapping up here, so we can kind of just uh, leave yeah. this. Topic. I just wanted to say, I just wanted to say one thing about Bruno. Yeah, yeah, like Fox. this is going to be the last topic, and then yeah, we'll wrap it up. Um, I just wanted to say, um, first off. I don't think that anybody in the Panthers organization, I mean, of course they always plan for what can happen, but I don't think anybody expected us to go out in round one to the Washington Capitals in our organization. So I think that, you know, discussing right now, like, oh, what's the feeling, you know, around the team? It's, it's almost like if they go out in round one, it's going to be a, a shock. And I think that that could lead to Brunette losing his job and it could lead to them potentially looking into a guy like Barry, like Barry Trotz. I don't know that it would be definite in that case, but they're going to take a serious look of it if they lose in this first round um, because they, they won two playoff games last year. You've, we've heard Bill Zito reference it numerous times. And if they only win two playoff games again this year, uh, that the Bill Zito is not going to be happy. Bill Zito will not be happy. And let's remember, Bill Zito did not hire Andrew Burnett. He did not. Uh, he didn't hire his predecessor either. He did not. So I don't know that there's necessarily that allegiance there uh, that you would generally have. Yeah. I mean, Bill Zito's undoubtedly got plenty of rope to work with. However, they lose in the first round this year. 
he traded two first round picks for future seasons. Like you're, you're trading first round picks that you don't even know are going to be at least in the twenties. You're trading for first round picks in the future for Reynolds and you go out in the first round. That's a brutal look. Like I know that he's transformed the franchise and we all as Panthers fans recognize that. So we're not going to take that at face value and overreact to it. But I mean, he's still got to wear that, like regardless, he's got to wear it if they go out in the first round, especially since Drew and Sherrod have both been brutal in the series. Like they've done very little to help the Panthers. And uh, I really hope for his sake and for all of our sakes that he doesn't have to wear that and the Panthers come back. But I mean, the way that the series is gone, like you got to say it's pretty much 50, 50, it's equally as likely that they're going to get knocked out that as it is that they're going to advance. And that's, you know, a precarious situation. You don't want to be in as the best regular season team in the league going up against the eighth best team in the Eastern conference, the 13th best team in the league. And they're going toe to toe with you in the underlying numbers. It's not even a goalie thing. Like, very frustrating. You know, I'm trying to walk the line of being, you know, as disappointed as I am and calling out what I am seeing as, as just not the effort that needs to happen. If you're going to call yourselves one of the best teams in the league, but at the same time, the series is not over, over and they win game four, which, you know, as time of recording hasn't happened yet. Maybe they won it by the time you're listening to this, maybe they haven't. Like the series goes back to sunrise two to two. And once again, you know, everything's up in the air. If they lose game four, go down three to one, things are going to get really, really difficult in that locker room. 100%. I mean, you cannot go down three to one. Uh, not, not with the pressure that we've seen, not with the nerves that we've seen from this team. They need to win game four just to calm the nerves, bring it back to game five, where it will be a, a raucous home crowd in a game five setting. They, they need to get this back tied to sunrise. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. If you're listening to this after game four, hopefully you're excited. Um, and it's 2-2 going back to sunrise. Uh, but if not, um, I, I'm afraid if they do not win this game four, that this series is going to be over in five or six and not in the direction that we want it to be. Yeah, I, I have to agree with that. That's the unfortunate thing. But last thing, though, before we sign off, we got about three more minutes here, is that, like, I'm going to try to keep any of my doubts bottled up just, just in terms of like, we want the team to see our outward gestures of support. And I feel like that's the best way to get them to perform at a higher level. I'm seeing it like in, in soccer, you know, there's a team that I like called Everton. They're having a tough season. They might get relegated and the fans have really come out. And then instead of like getting on their back with criticism, they've really shown their support. And all of a sudden that, you know, they've won two straight games and, games that they were not favored to win at all. And that's something that I think potentially could happen here. If we uh, show our support, just what I'm trying to say is like, if you want to call out the players publicly, if you want to get in their DMS and harass them, I think that's totally counterproductive. Like, they're not necessarily going to see us. I think that's counterproductive regardless. Yeah. (laughs) You should never harass people on a personal level. Yeah. I I think that if you're going to DM these players, like at least make it something supportive, let them know, you know, we're rooting for them. We're getting behind them. We believe in them and maybe they won't come through, but you know, I think the off season could be the time for that public criticism as much as, you know, this seems like public criticism, I'll own up to that, you know, I'll own up to this being counterproductive, whatever I'm saying, but, you know, I'm also trying to kind of reassure myself that I, 
I did see the, the signs that potentially this was going the wrong way. At, at the same time, look, they, they can come back. That's ultimately what I'm trying to say. So don't say they can't come back. 100%. They can. Uh, but let's see what happens. Right, right. Who knows? Uh, we're going to hope for the best. All right, Brian, we're going to have to wrap this up. But before we do, please plug your YouTube and your Twitter and everything else that you're doing right now. Yes, of course. Um, I dropped a hype video uh, right um, on the series, which is currently at uh, almost 2000 views. Uh, go check that out at Metal Panthers on YouTube, at Metal Panthers on Twitter as well. Um, and hopefully win the series so I can make another one of these hype videos for our second round series. Yep. Crossing my fingers. All right. Thank you, Brian. Thanks again to Colby, Florida Hockey Now, and uh, Metal Panthers YouTube. All right. We'll see everybody for game four. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.